Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. Hey, can you give Jesus a big praise today? Let's just take a second and thank the Lord for how good he is. If you believe he's been good to you, give him a true 10-second praise. Come on, 10 seconds of just thanking him for how faithful he is, how wonderful he is. If you're online, put your hands together. Come on, 10 seconds of praise. You can stand on your feet. Give God some glory today. We'd like to thank him. Get ourselves stirred up a little bit, especially if you don't feel like praising him. That's the perfect time to praise him. Amen. God is good. Come on, touch five people around you on the shoulder and say, I believe God is good today. Amen. Welcome, those of you that are watching online to City of Life Church. We got some good stuff going on in the room today. Man, I love those guys. Those guys are great. I played golf with Lou for 10 years, and can you imagine playing golf with Lou with with that personality? That's his personality, too. He's always like, he's like, Pastor Jeff, you sure you don't want to take another one off the tee box? I mean, he that's real. Like, he's, he's really like that. That's, that's uh, some funny stuff. But, hey, uh, this past Sunday was incredible. We had over 150 people at our welcome home party after our 1130 service. So it, kind of, it was awesome. Nice meeting you guys, getting to connect with you. I encourage you. If you're new at City of Life, never got to meet my family, our, our team, come to our next welcome home party. It's a great way to connect uh, and personalize our, our relationships here. In the meantime, I encourage you, jump in our growth track uh, that's across the street over there after services uh, every single week. So amazing to get to connect with other people. Join our dream team. Get involved with the church. Don't just attend. Uh, but if you are just attending, I want to tell you a, <clears throat> a quick story and let you know before I get into my message how loved you are by God today. Because at our welcome home party uh, I met a family that told me their story of attending City of Life for about seven years. They didn't know Jesus before they came here uh, as, a, as a couple. Uh, they're actually my age. I'm 49. Uh, I think they're 50, like we're right there in the same boat. Um, they were just saying that we've never come to one single event at church. It's the first thing that we've ever done. It's the first non-Sunday morning church event that we have ever been to. And he was saying, you know, I, I show up every, we show up every week, but you don't, Every time we want to come to something, we feel like something stops us, like we don't feel like we're good enough or, you know, like an event comes up and something is competing and we just don't come. And he's like, I'm sorry, this is the first thing we've ever come to. And I said, hey, hold on, before you go down that road of like talking to yourself down a little bit, I see you guys here every single week. And it means a lot to me as a pastor to see someone that shows up. It gives me confidence. You, don't, you have no idea the confidence that you're bringing other people that see you as a pillar of this church. I said, you're not a second-rate church member. Uh, you don't have, and, and, and they both just started crying. They said, man, I've never felt like that before, that I was, I, we've never felt like we were good enough. I said, no, God loves you so much. So I want to take a chance here to tell everyone in this room, God loves you today. You don't have to do anything to earn his love. You can't do anything to love, earn his love. If you're watching online, before we even get into our message, I want you to feel the goodness of God is toward you today. He is for you. He is for your family. Uh, so please come to our next Welcome Home Party. Also, men, I know you've already heard it a million times today, but this Friday night at MMA is going to be totally amazing. I cannot wait to connect with other men uh, that are excited and passionate about the things of God. I truly believe it's a time that we're going to make each other better, uh, be there for each other. It's not going to be some barbaric thing where we slap each other in the face all night or something like that. Uh, we're going to have some fun stuff that I'm looking forward to. Uh, we may slap each other a few times, but uh, it's, it's, it's going to be, a, it is going to be a, a really cool night. I believe that as men, we are truly architects of our culture and our family and our church and our jobs. So let's come uh, and strategize this Friday night about the way we want to proceed and the things that we want to see God do uh, in our city. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 16 through 20. That's our text for the whole series. I've read it each week. I'm going to read it again because I believe it is the general concept for this series I'll do a very brief review of our last two weeks, and I've got something today that I'm really excited to jump into. Uh, it says this, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Uh, it goes on in verse 18. So Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Somebody say that with me today. I am not ashamed 
Let's say it one more time. Say, I'm not ashamed. By the way, if you're wondering, what does this series mean? That's what it means. It means that as Christians, we have to be proud of the gospel, the Bible, the truth of, of who Jesus is, the good news for all the world to hear. We can't shirk back from it. We have to lean into it. We have to step into it. We've got to embrace it. It has to be the foundation of our worldview. He goes on in verse 18 to say, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against godlessness and the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. I use the example now three weeks in a row of trying to hold a beach ball underwater. Uh, I was at the beach with my family the other day. Uh, and you know, when the, when the waves are going by, it's hard to even keep yourself afloat. But, but when you're trying to suppress something and hold it down, it makes it even more challenging. That's what the Bible says people do that try to act like God does not exist. That try to act like God's word does not exist. They're suppressing the truth by their wickedness. It said, since, what's since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. What that means uh, in Romans chapter 1 verse 20 right there is it means God is able to be known by just simply looking around. God makes it clear to people, but people make all kinds of excuses why they don't, don't want to obey him. So I'm going to jump right in, do a quick review and get to some really exciting stuff uh, for today's message. I'm just going home, okay? <laughs> for today's message, part three of our series called Should. Thank you, Lord. Lord, help me to actually speak English today as I'm speaking to this uh, group of amazing people that are here in this room. We thank you, Lord, for your, your power, your love, your mercy. Thank you, God, that you never give up on us. I thank you, Lord, that you're the God of second chances for people that are here that are broken today, that need your healing, that need your help, that need your hope today. I thank you that you're a God of miracles. Lord, you don't abandon us on this planet, but you have sent the wonderful Holy Spirit to be with us. I thank you that at our, at our church, we believe in miracles. We even expect them, God. And I pray right now that there would be miracles for marriages, Lord, miracles for people that are addicted today, miracles for people that have physical needs in their bodies that need a healing in their bodies. Lord, we speak it right now in Jesus' name. Let there be an atmosphere of faith here today to believe that you can do anything, that all things are possible in the name of Jesus and help people receive hope today that have given up on hope. And I thank you for what you're doing in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you are just jumping in on this series called Should, uh, in week one, we looked at kind of a general argument for God's existence to people that maybe uh, have kind of claimed that they're an atheist or just don't have God in their life whatsoever. For the kinds of people that are saying, I make up my own rules, I do what I want, I do what's best for me. Uh, we kind of made a general rule argument for God in week one using the cosm Kalam's cosmological argument, which basically says this. If you want to talk to someone about why they don't believe in God, that's fine, but kind of press into it a little bit. Get into the conversation with people to find out if you don't believe in God, then where do you get your morality? Where do you get your system that you come up with? Because uh, it's sort of a dangerous idea to just write God off. We could argue for God's existence in a general sense, kind of by that argument, which would basically say anything that begins to exist has a cause. I don't think anyone believes that things just come out of nowhere. So if you're... So you would start the argument by saying something that begins to exist has a cause. Then point number two of that argument would be the universe began to exist. So whether you are a theist uh, and you believe in God or you're an atheist, A means not to, so not to believe in theism or God. If you're an atheist, even you believe that the universe began to exist. Uh, science even tells us that the universe began to exist and just come out of nowhere. So if, if the premise is that everything that begins to exist has a cause, the universe began to exist, point number three would be the universe has a cause. So we can, you can make an argument for God's existence by simply looking and observing the universe. Uh, last week, we took that a little bit deeper and we started talking about the uh, moral argument. 
If God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist. That's where you get the pineapple debate. By the way, I love pineapple on pizza. I told them to write, you know, let's write this skit. I'm sorry, if you don't like it, you can just, you know, go to the third service. Uh, uh, actually, we don't have a third service. I'm just kidding. Uh, pineapple on pizza is great, but, but it's a funny argument because people really do debate this stuff uh, pretty deeply. But what you're talking about there is subjective truth. Uh, and, and, and subjective truth is far different than objective truth. Subjective truth has to do with the subject, the person that's making the call. Objective truth is something that is simply true regardless of who is looking at it. So if we say that there's such a thing as objective truth, what is objective truth? Let's, let's use a statement like murder is wrong. Okay, so if you say murder is wrong, not, not the statement that killing in a general sense, like in times of war, self-defense, that's a different story. But if you say murder, killing an innocent person, murdering a person is wrong. If that's objectively true, that means it's true no matter who is observing that situation. We know it to be true. So we know objective moral truth exists. And not only objective moral truth, but objective moral truth and duties that we should do these things, not murder, but we should not do certain things and we should do certain things. Why do we feel compelled that, to not only know that certain things are objectively true, but we should or should not do them? How could we know that if there is no God? Why would there be objective moral truth if there was no God? If it was just a universe that evolved randomly, why is anything right or wrong? And we can get into all kinds of you know, arguments about utilitarianism. You know, People that don't believe in God come up with these ideas, well, we should just do what's best for all people. Then you get into questions of, well, then how do you know what's best for all people? What benefits the most pe people might be oppressive toward a small group of people. Uh, so those arguments really fall flat at some point anyways, but we kind of come back to the, the point, uh, Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. And what, where we landed last week is Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life that we believe that objective truth comes from who God is. It's all about his character and all objective truth that exists emanates from him. He says what is right because he is what is right. And we take those truths from him and we can build our lives around him. But the other worldview uh, called moral relativism tries to say, well, you're right, but this person is also right, and this person is right. And by the way, I'm right about everything. So you can't really make a call here, and you can't make a call there. You can't say one person is that you're more right than them. Everybody's right. Well, the problem with moral relativism is it takes the highest view of everything because it says that you have to do all this, but it's making a major claim in itself that it has the truth. So there's a problem. That's a very slippery slope as well. So today in part three of our series, that was the little recap. I know that was longer than I wanted it to be. But part three here today, I'm going to talk about how can you claim that your religion is the true religion. I want to talk about why Christianity is truly superior. Philosophically, it's superior in its, in it, in its message. It's superior in the way that of, of all other religions, in the way that Jesus came, how he uh, purchased our freedom, purchased our salvation. And religion is something that divides people. I think sometimes as Christians, we don't ever want to say anything negative about Christianity uh, because we don't want to possibly damage the perception of Christianity. Uh, sometimes we don't want to say anything bad about Christians or uh, anything that could per be perceived as negative because it could seem like a lack of faith. I think it's important, though, to make a, 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 just an honest statement about religion is religion does divide people. Religion hurts a lot of people. Uh, as a matter of fact, I would say this. A lot of Christians have been hurt by other Christians. A lot of Christians have been hurt by organized religion. And I think many times, and this wasn't in my first uh, message in the first service, but I'll just kind of lean into this a little bit right now. Uh, I think sometimes... We get hurt as Christians uh, 
by other churches, by churches, by church life, by organized religion. And we put a lot of faith in things that we, we kind of, like, for instance, um, the whole idea of like celebrity pastors and things like that. People that have these massive platforms. It's pretty easy to say we don't need any more celebrity pastors. Uh, and I, I think that that's probably a, pre, a very true statement. But the problem is we create celebrity pastors. Uh, we create things in the body of Christ. And I think a great example would be Israel. When Israel was being led by Samuel, they said, give us a king. And what did God say? God said, you don't need a king. They said, but we want a king. That's sort of what we do, isn't it? We say, we want an icon. We want someone that we can follow. We want someone that's larger than life. We want someone that says all the right things, that's good looking, that does everything right, that is on all the interviews. We want that. And we build these things ourselves. And then when they fail, not if, but when, uh, then we get disappointed. A lot of people in churches, they get hurt at a church because a leader did something that they didn't like or whatever. And, and, you know, I get it, I understand, but I think that's more of a problem of us building something up to a place that it shouldn't be in the first place. We should respect leadership. We should respect authority, but we should not deify them. We shouldn't lift them up to a level of idols. We should learn from people. And when, when people make mistakes and people fail, the right answer is not canceling everything they've ever said or done. I got news for you. There are some amazing men and women of God who have done really stupid things. Uh, you know, for instance, Ravi Zacharias, he's an apologist. It, it, after he passed away and died, it was found out that he did all kinds of things in his life that were inappropriate. So there are people that have now taken down all of his content. You can't read any of his books. That's ridiculous. Uh, the, the idea of, of trying to cancel everything that a person has ever said just because they don't live up to a perfect moral standard. Jesus is the only perfect moral standard we will ever find. And if we're going to cancel everything that people have done because they're not perfect, we'll have no one to learn from in the world. Because the honest truth is when we start digging into humanity, we find it's deeply flawed. And Christianity doesn't preclude us from this. It actually guarantees that we're going to fail. So the test of a true Christian, and while I'm here, I'll just stick here and say that this is one of the points why people don't embrace Christianity, is, for instance, the hypocrisy. Uh, people will look at Christianity and say, well, I don't want to be a Christian because Christians are hypocrites. I think on this subject of maybe like celebrity pastors and things like that, I'll, I'll, I'll refer to our affiliation with a Hillsong family here at City of Life. We're a Hillsong family church. If you wonder what that is, uh, Hillsong family, you can, read, you can type right in, in the internet, what is Hillsong family? The page will come up. It'll say, it's a group of like-spirited churches that are from all over the world, churches all through Europe, Canada, United States, Mexico. I've met all kinds of pastors over the years that are part of Hillsong family that are kind of a non-denominational church like us who doesn't have anyone running our church telling us what to do. So we have autonomy as a, a church here at City of Life. I entrust my life uh, in terms of uh, leadership-wise and judgment-wise to my parents, my uh, mom and dad are, are elders at this church and on the board and like look over every decision that's made. Nothing we do has ever been done that has not been approved and run by them. So from, a, from as far as the way things are run, it's submitted to elders and a board here at the church. But Hillsong family is a, uh, a group of churches that basically want to have relationships. So I've met a lot of pastors who have similar churches to ours and we're able to get together and talk and strategically, how do we stay accountable? How do we make sure our lives are exemplary? Pastor Brian, so, so for instance, how we, we got in Hillsong, just to go, go back a few years, uh, in 2012, I was producing a record for a church in Hawaii, uh, in Honolulu, and I was invited to speak at a conference at this large church in Hawaii. So I, they, as a matter of fact, it was so sick. You say, how did you get invited over there? They were singing our song Fire uh, over there. And like it was blowing up in Hawaii. And when I got there at this huge conference, I mean, thousands of people, they had like hula dancers that were up there doing this sick, dope version of Fire with like fire dancing and twirling, all these things. It was so cool. But anyways, one of the speakers there was Carl Lentz. And um, Carl was a pastor of Hillsong, New York City. I did not know Carl. I'd never met Carl. We're both preaching at the same time. 
And he was like, who are, like we were hanging out. He's like, have lunch with me tomorrow. I hung out with him the next day. He's like, who are you? How did you just pop out of nowhere? Nobody's ever heard of you. Who do you hang out with? I'm like, my parents. Like, I, like I'm like my wife. I'm from Kissimmee, dude. Like, I don't know anybody. Like, I, I'm not anything like other than just like a guy, a guy that grew up in my dad's church. And I, I sing and preach and do everything down there. He's like, well, you're my friend now. He's like, you hang out with me now. He's like, get your passport ready. You're coming with me to Sweden tomorrow. I'm like, what? I, I didn't know what it was about. So I went with Carl to uh, Sweden, to Hillsong Conference in Sweden, and he introduced me to everyone at, at Hillsong, uh, just out of friendship. Just like he, He's like, man, he's like, I, I love the way you talk about Jesus. And I thought he was a really interesting guy in terms of like, never met someone that uh, talked about Jesus and preached and just kind of a normal guy and uh, was able to just have a normal conversation. He wasn't wearing a tie and like loafers and stuff. I was like, okay, I can get down with that. Uh, so anyways, he took me to Sweden with him. I met all these people at Hillsong there. Got to experience like revival in Europe, seeing young people in Europe that I'd always heard Europe was just full of atheists. It was just thousands and thousands of incredibly successful, young, passionate people worshiping Jesus. I was just weeping the whole time. I later, uh, I got to meet Pastor Brian, Bobby, all the people from Hillsong. I didn't know them that, I didn't, I know, knew of them, but I didn't know them. But I'm like in the back rooms with all these people and, and just like kind of instant access to this whole group of people that were very embracing and super sweet to me. And uh, Amy and I went over to Sydney and experienced Hillsong Conference uh, right in their stadium, right in Hillsong and saw uh, in the middle of Sydney and I got to see 50,000 people from every country. Pastor Brian would say, you know, Korea, make some noise, and a thousand people would scream. Philippines, make some noise. And just the worship and the, the, the way the presence of God felt in that room, I'll never forget. So we were invited to be a part of Hillsong family. Um, it was an incredible thing, and uh, being a part of it, it has been an incredible thing to see God move through that way. But, you know, over the pandemic, some things happened with Carl, and Carl uh, made some really bad choices and did some things that, hurt a lot of people. I met a person last week at the Welcome Home Party who attended Hillsong, New York City and got saved there and uh, said, you know, I cried for two weeks when I found out what happened. And uh, I haven't been able to go to a church since, but I found peace here at City of Life and I've, I feel the Holy Spirit here and God's like healing my heart. So Carl, you know, in all my times being friends with Carl, I never knew any of, the, of those things. Uh, we would, when we would talk, we would talk about the Lord, we would talk about you know our families and, and church and stuff. I didn't know that stuff. Recently, some things have come out about Pastor Brian. You know that not only did he step back from his board because Australia has been like investigating things that he did in a case with his father over 20 years ago, which has sort of been a, a, a you know a controversial thing, very very controversial over there. But he stepped back from the board and put the whole church in in the hands of, of Phil and Lucinda Dooley who are the pastors of Hillsong South Africa, who used to be the youth pastor at Hillsong many, many years ago. Uh, but recently, even some more things came out about Pastor Brian, uh, that he had some indiscretions 10 years ago, that he did something in 2019 that was inappropriate. Uh, and I was on the phone last night with Darren Kiddo, who is on the board of, of Hillsong. Just even, even though Hillsong family has nothing to do with telling us what to do, we don't you know, it's not a denomination. We're not a part of it. There's no one that, we haven't even been to a Hillsong event at all since 2018. Uh, but the bottom line is the reason I want to bring this up today is because with someone like Carl, when we build up people and we say, this is the person that can't fail, or we build up someone like Pastor Brian or, or, and Bobby, or, or Pastor Brian specifically in this case, and we say, this is a person that can't fail. The test of a cr true Christian is not if you fail. The test of a true Christian is what happens when you fail. How do you respond? Do you respond repentance? With repentance, do you respond with brokenness? Do you look inward and build your life up? When I make a mistake, am I going to keep going down the road and going, oh, I got away with something? Or am I going to get accountability in my life and say, I never want this to happen again? So part of my conversation with Darren last night is, what's happening at Hillsong? Like, how are you dealing with this? Like, who's coming in? Who's going to be a leader? How can we connect? So I feel, I just want to share that with you today in the sermon to say that a lot of people write off Christianity because of hypocrisy. And if you're one of the people that say you write off Christianity because of hypocrisy, I'm sorry you've been hurt, but I would just fire back at you and say, what worldview do you have? 
that has no people that are hypocrites. Because every single worldview that exists has a, a standard that no one can live up to. It just so happens that Christianity tells us that we're hypocrites. Paul called himself the chief of sinners. As great as Paul was, he said, I am the worst of the worst. And so I think it's from that place that we don't need to build people up in a way where we think they can't fail. Uh, because if you have someone, please don't think of me that way either. Don't build me up in a way where you go, oh, well, Pastor Jeff does everything. I make so many mis- I'm sort of in awe. <clears throat> I'm sort of in awe of how, um, of how I'm even able to have the honor to do of what I do on a regular basis after all that I've been through. Many people here know that I, until my mid-30s, I was addicted to pornography. I grew up in a pastor's son. Um, I, I um, spent a lot of my life trying to earn things and make people think that I was talented and uh, could do everything right and get affirmation from the wrong places. It wasn't until I was even in my mid-30s that I felt God just loved me uh, because of me. It didn't have anything to do with, uh, <clears throat> with what I preach or, or how many people I went to the Lord or none of that stuff. It wasn't until then, and I got free, uh, you know, about 15 years ago. God changed my whole life completely. So I'm in awe that I'm able to do this. But I want to tell you, please don't let that be a reason why you give up on God because you see Christians fail. Don't do that. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We make, we make allowances for people to fail. And more importantly, we make allowances for people to be restored if they have a right spirit. Always watch out for people. Always watch out for people how they respond. Do they really get broken? Are they just sad because they got caught? Or, or are they repentant? And do they use that getting caught as an opportunity to, to reevaluate their lives from the ground floor? And it starts when you're alone in your own head going, man, I'm in trouble here, but what am I going to do moving forward? How am I going to let the Holy Spirit rebuild my life in a way that brings honor to Jesus for my future? So I'm trying to give you some real talk today uh, in the context of this, of this uh, should thing. So when it comes to religion, I just gave you one of the reasons, I think another two reasons people don't like Christianity specifically is I think They'll use the, the argument about sin and the argument about evil, that if God is truly holy, why did, how did, could he create sin or how could he create evil? Isn't that contradictory that a holy God could create sin or create it? If he created everything, then how could he create that? Uh, I think the hypocrisy argument is one. I think sin, I think evil is one. I'll just give you my brief take on sin and evil to just def- not diffuse, but at least to respond in some way to it, because I know it's a complex issue that, that could be debated for years. Uh, but I would just simply say that he is holy. The Bible says, be ye holy as I am holy. I believe that when God uh, created mankind, even angels, he gave us this thing called free will. And his invitation is know me, be like me, come close to me, live the life that I've called you to live next to me. But that free will we, sometimes causes us to step back and to go exploring for things that are not facing toward God. And when we turn our back on God and we get further away, we, it, you know what's interesting? Scientifically, there is no thing called dark. There is nothing called darkness. Darkness is not a tangible thing. Do you know what darkness is? Hey, come on, let's, let's think about it here. What is it? It's the absence of light. There is no substance called darkness. There's something called light. And what what light does is light illuminates darkness, but when you turn out the light and you get further away from the light, you get into darkness. I would say that sin and evil are the same things. It's what happens when you get, and even hell. There are a lot of people that don't believe in Christianity because they don't like the idea of a God that would send people to hell. And what's interesting about that as well is God has given this open invitation, come to me. Come to me through Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. Come to Jesus, come to God, come to holiness. And the further you get away from God is the closer you get to hell. And you you say, well, what is hell? Hell is whatever life that you have created for yourself apart from God on an, an infinite trajectory in that direction. 
Self-centeredness, you solving your own problems, pride. It's that going on and on and on and on and on forever and ever. There's only two kinds of people. The kind of people that say to God, thy will be done. And then the kind of person that God says to them, thy will be done. And what he means by that is if you want to find out what self-centeredness looks like, I'm going to let you walk it out for eternity. And and what, what is it? The further and further you get through eternity, the further you get from his mercy from his joy, from his happiness, from his grace, from his peace. You want to talk about what real hell looks like. So those are some quick responses. I realize each of those could be a 10-week series. But I'm trying to respond to things that people throw out against Christianity that I don't believe are real, true things that are hindering them. I believe they're just arguments that people use so they don't have to go to church (laughs) Uh, or they don't have to have someone telling them what to do. Uh, But I think that... uh, you know, when, when people think that, and by the way, I, I was mentioning religion is divisive. I truly agree. I think, I think extreme fundamentalism and uh, fanaticism uh, is, is just evil. I think it's really, it's really dividing. And some, some people in the name of Jesus have done some of the worst things imaginable. Uh, I think when you meet people that are coming in the name of Jesus, like we had this church, uh, this one church that was out here protesting us. They're like some of the meanest people I've ever seen in my life. They had these just gross signs and stuff. This is like 10 years ago. And they're saying all these mean things and uh, they're doing it in the name of Jesus. But how many people know it didn't feel like Jesus? Uh, the, the love of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus uh, wasn't there at all. So I think that that kind of extreme uh, fundamentalism in, in an extreme sense is very divisive. And honestly, it's very evil. Uh, so I think that when you realize that religion divides, uh, there's kind of two hopes that, that secular people have. I think, number one, they hope that religion will weaken Uh, And I got news for you. You better keep waiting on that one because that ain't going to happen. Religion is growing. Uh, Africa has gone from 9% Christian to 50% Christian in the last 100 years. From 9% to 50%. And it's it's beautiful. Uh, Korea has gone from 1% Christian to 50% Christian in the last 100 years. And did you know that it's projected right now that in the next 10 years, China will have more Christians than any nation in the world. Uh, the church, the Christian church is growing in China, even though it's a communist nation. Uh, it's growing. Underground churches are blowing up. Oh, man, I can barely even say it without crying, but it, the, the egalitarian aspect of Christianity there that everyone has value is one of the things that's most appealing to them because they're made to believe that they, each person doesn't have value. So the idea that we have equality in God's eyes, that he loves us all no matter who we are, that just makes them want to know Jesus because they've never heard anything like that. So if you're waiting and you're holding your breath, w- waiting for religion to shrink, you're going to need a breath soon, doc. You're going to die because uh, it, it, ain't going, it ain't going nowhere. Uh, religion ain't going to weaken uh, it, because we all have this thing in us that we know we need something. Uh, We all know that there's meaning in life. I talk about this in my book, Jesus First, Jesus Always. We know there's meaning in life. We know when we have conversations with people that we care about, there's something transcendent about those moments that feels bigger than just biology, than just one amoeba crawling out of a lake and another amoeba crawling on a lake and the two get on top of each other. Now there's four of them. It's just, we know there's something more than just the biology of these things. There's something inside of us. So, Religion is not going to weaken, and I think the second thing is people say that religion should be confined to the private realm, and uh, that it shouldn't because if it's public and people are allowed to preach and allowed to be on the internet, allowed to be on television, saying that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, what they say is that's divisive because if you say your way is right, what you're doing is saying other people's way is wrong. But I got news for you: our way is right. <laughs> Okay, and when, and, when people, and when people tell us, you don't need to say your way is right, do you know what they're doing? They're saying, my way is right. So you don't need to tell other people that their way is right. But they're, they're doing the very same thing to you that they're telling you not to do to other people. So that is a problem. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the, the parable of the blind man and the elephant. 
but it's a very old parable that talks about a couple of blind men that stumble onto this beast that's called an elephant. None of them know exactly what it is. And, uh, you know, one blind guy goes to the trunk, and he goes, oh, I know what an elephant feel like. It feels like. It's long and flexible. And, 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 and he describes it to everyone else. And then the other guy is standing over uh, by the side of the elephant. And he says, no, 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 it's not long and flexible. It's completely flat. It's completely flat. And, 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 uh, and the, the other guy is over by the tail. And, and he's like, no, it's kind of soft. And it moves around. And, and they've got all these different views. But the, the parable says all of them have their own individual truth. They are all touching an elephant, but they don't have the whole story. Now, there's a problem with this parable. (laughs) Because people use this parable to say that as Christians, we're touching the side of the elephant. A Hindu is touching the trunk. Someone else is touching the tail. And basically, it's a way of, in a condescending type of way, to say, well, you have some of the truth, and you have some of the truth, but the truth is everyone has the truth. But in order to make that claim... You have to have all the truth to make that claim. So what I'm trying to tell you is don't be bullied into a position where you're afraid to stand for the truth of God's word. That's why my text scripture is Romans chapter 1 that says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes, first to the Jew, then to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. We have to stand strong uh, on, on the word. And, you know, I'll just tell you, the Bible answers questions so much better than any other philosophy does. And what I also love about the Bible is the Bible has the courage to admit that the answer is not found within ourselves. Almost every other philosophy tells you you can find your answer in here. No, we can't do that. The Bible says that we can't find the answer in here. So... Uh, I guess a couple things I want to touch on. I'm a little bit over on time, but I'm, I'm going to end in the next five minutes or so. I'm going to give you some unique things about Christianity that I love so much about our faith. The reasons why it has a distinction from other worldviews, other religions, other faiths. Three main things. Number one, the origin of Jesus' salvation. Number two, the purpose of salvation. And number three, the method of salvation. I'll go through them one by one. Number one, the origin of Jesus' salvation. I love the scripture that says, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Jesus came to earth physically. I'm not talking about some idea of I used to be a cow and now I'm a a bull. I'm not talking about these, these metaphysical ideas. I'm talking about the fact that the Bible teaches us that Jesus became a human being. God became a man on our behalf, a rescue story. I'm talking about the fact that the Bible claims not only did he come, but we have historical evidence, actual evidence that Jesus was resurrected. Did you, did you know there are an extraordinary number of non-believing scholars that will attest that historically Jesus was seen resurrected? Did you know that, that according to the standard for what is reliable when it comes to old documents. If you have two documents from this era, if you have two documents from the time that Jesus lived that both corroborate one another, they're considered to be indisputable. Two. Do you know how many we have that shows that Jesus was resurrected? Eleven. We have eleven documents. So even people that don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, admit that historically it was recorded that he appeared, and in one case he appeared to over 500 people at the same time, resurrected. So this is truly incredible that the origin of salvation is about God becoming a human being and being resurrected. And I got news for you. Every other religion that exists, go research them all. They all have a founder. They all have an inventor that personally profited from that religion personal gain i don't care who it is politically they gained financially they gained they gained supporters that would fight for them that would die for them they personally gained for instance l ron hubbard if you've ever heard of scientology l ron hubbard used to be a a science fiction writer and at one time he won an award as a science fiction writer and they were talking about how much money he makes as a science fiction he said i don't do it for the money He said, if I really wanted to make a lot of money, I would invent a religion. So my point is, he personally profited 
and became rich from inventing a religion, just like all of the other Charles Taze Russell, Joseph Smith, Muhammad, every, everyone that is an inventor or founder of a religion personally profited. You know how Jesus profited? He got the death penalty. He got the death penalty. So this is a story that is different than any story. None of these other stories have God coming down here. None of these, none of these other stories have anything that's close. I love some of the some of the points about you know every other religion in the world is really about us finding our way to God, whatever God is. Everyone is about us finding our way to God. Christianity is the only religion is about God finding his way to us. I just love it so much. It's so different, man. Look at someone next to you say, Christianity is different. Grace is not man coming to God, it's God coming to man. Number two, the purpose of Jesus' salvation. Oh, I love this. Oh, it's so good. Other religions say that the physical world is the problem. Like, for instance, in Buddhism, uh, they claim that suffering is caused by desire. It's because we want things too much. So what do they do? They basically become asceticists. They try to eliminate their desire for anything. So if they can kill their desire for stuff, when they don't get it, they won't be disappointed. That's like me going home and saying, you don't like Oreos, you don't like Oreos, you don't like Oreos, you don't like Oreos. Then when I don't get any Oreos, I'm not disappointed. But I want to tell you something. I don't care how many times I tell myself I don't like Oreos. I like some Oreos. I'm going to go home and eat double stuff today. Okay, so the bottom line is every other religion puts a premium on the physical world that everything is breaking down in this world and the things of this world are bad. What I love about our faith is that Jesus came to redeem all the things that are broken in this world. He came to fix it and put it back together again. Christianity is so different in this regard. Like for instance, a lot of other religions, when you bring their religion to a different culture, like let's say Africa, in Africa, a lot of times when they adopt a, like a European type of philosophy or religion, it causes them to lose culturally a lot of the Africanness with it, and they start kind of mimicking what they're seeing in these other places. What I love about Christianity, and I've been there, I've been in Nigeria. What's fantastic about Christianity is it transcends our culture. And what it does is it redeems our original culture. They're more African than they ever were. And I've seen it through celebrations in church services where they come out and they're old, hundreds of years old tribe, tribal wear doing old dances. But what happens is they take all the witchcraft out of it. They take all the evil out of it and they do it, use it only for the Lord. They're able to redeem old broken things for Jesus. That's the message of Christianity is redeeming broken things, not eliminating them, redeeming them. That's what's different about Jesus than any other. Is this good today? You guys, you guys getting down with this? God's purpose is not to destroy our flesh, but to redeem it. Restoration of the material world. Shalom. True peace on the inside. And then finally, the method of Jesus. Excuse me, the method of Jesus' salvation. That's, the, that's another distinction. The cross. Him going to the cross. Loving people like anything that has ever been unseen. No one has ever given their life or could give their life for the collective failures and sins of humanity the way Jesus did. And it's so unique. You know, our faith leads us to believe that we don't deserve Jesus, but he loves us anyways. Our faith leads us to believe that there may be people living next door to us that don't even know Jesus, that might be better morally than us. They might have more moral lives than we do. That's a hard thing to admit. Religious people don't want to admit that. I'll just be straight up with you and say that I have some Mormon friends 
who are some of the sweetest, kindest people I've ever met in my time. They outmoral me all day long. Like I feel, I'm like, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry I said that. Like, like they're some of the nicest people I've ever met. It's really important that we, re- that we realize and recognize that the gospel leads us to believe that people that do not believe like us might be better people than us in a worldly kind of measurable standard. But the gospel teaches us to serve those people, to love those people, to love people that don't love us. You know, here's, something, here's a place I want to kind of land it. This is, what, this is another beautiful thing about our faith that separates it, is the true gospel of Jesus teaches us that we are validated and accepted by God first. And then because of that acceptance and because of that validation, we do right. Because he loves us, Every other religion teaches us that we have to do right first in order to ever be validated or loved or accepted by God. Who could make something like this up? It's fully backwards when it comes to the kingdom. That's why I started out my message today by letting you know in advance, God loves you right now. You don't have to come next week for him to love you. You don't have to ever give anything in the offering for him to love you. You can walk away from here and never come back in this room again. And he loves you. I hope you come back. But the most important thing for you to know is that when we get the true message of Christianity, we realize he loves us first. And it's because of that love that we are kind. It's because of that affirmation that we're generous. It's because of how much he cares for us and he's adopted us in his family that we don't curse and we don't say hurtful things to people and we don't get drunk and party and sleep with people that we're not married to, that we keep our commitments. We do all those things because he first loved us. It's not the other way around. And I would just say that that's another reason why Christianity is different than any other thing. So I hope today, I hope you're encouraged right now. I hope you lean into the fact that this is real. You know, another thing that was, I was thinking about in the first service is like, you don't make this stuff up. Peter was crucified upside down. Why? Because he says, I'm not worthy to die the same death that Jesus died. He died refusing to deny the man that he lived with for three and a half years. And he saw him loving people. You don't die for a lie. You know, this Bible that we read, it's true. It's real. You know, the account of the, the, the women disciples that found Jesus at the tomb, did you know when that was written, a woman's testimony was lower than low? They had no value at that time period. If you said the testimony, it wasn't admissible in court. Women were not respected and given the honor they deserved in that time. So if you were going to make up a lie, saying that they found an empty tomb and saw a resurrected Jesus. You would never say a woman did it. If you're going to come up with a lie, come up with a good one. Say that, say that a, a, a well-known, you know, respected person saw it and then get them to go along with it. Why didn't they do that? Because women did find him in the tomb and it's real. It's true. What they found is actually true. They found Jesus because this story is real. It's real. If you, this way of life is real. This amazing love that I'm talking about is real. I don't want to live my life trying to create some set of rules that I can get away with this and get away with that. There's all kinds of things in the Bible that if Jeff Smith had his way, I would cherry pick and take them out. I wouldn't have church on Sundays because of football. I'll just be honest with you. (laughs) Or if I could own the NFL, I'd change it to a different day and have church on Sunday. But the, the bottom line, there's all kinds of little things that I don't sometimes understand why certain things are there. But the point is not that everything works the way I think it should. It's the point that Jesus loved me and he did something for me, that I want to be an icon of his love to other people, that when people see me, they can see the love of God flowing through me and I can be an example of someone else. That's the life you were meant to live. That's what I want to invite you to today. That's what Should series is all about, trying to get you thinking about some stuff maybe in a different way. 
than you have in the past. And I hope you're encouraged by it. I'm going to shut it down next week. Uh, that'll be the part four in the series. I think it's something that is going to really lift you up on the end on a very positive note. Invite somebody, bring somebody with you that's got some questions. Maybe they'll be answered through this series. But I just want to invite you right now to know Jesus. If you're watching online and you don't know the Lord or you're in this room and you've never committed your life to Christ, this is the moment. I believe it's all led up to this moment. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes, I don't want to even take too much time because I feel the power of the Holy Spirit moving right now. He's convicting your hearts. He's putting the check mark sign in your spirit that you know this is the right moment for you to step into faith in Jesus. The Bible says that if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. I think there comes a time in our life where we have to step out, just like that scripture said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There's a time in your life where you've got to step out and take a stand and say, I know truth when I see it, and Jesus is the truth. And if this is that day for you and it's time for you to say, Jesus is the truth, when I count to three, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand over your head. Those that are watching online, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand over your head as well. And also type in the chat, I'm lifting my hand, I need Jesus. Type that in the chat, let someone know. This is going to be on three. I feel God moving right now. I know lives are going to change. Here we go. One, the Bible says now is the time of salvation. Two, I believe this day is the right day for you because I can sense the presence of God and the love of Jesus in this place. Don't resist what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. Three, hands lifted in the air if that's you all over the building. Every single section, that's just really, honestly, dozens of people in this room responding to Jesus. I know people are lifting their hands online. So right now, would you repeat this prayer with me out loud? Mean it from the bottom of your heart. Say, I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. I'm turning away from the old life, walking into a brand new life with you. I will never be the same. Give me a brand new heart. Help me to seek you and to serve you in everything I do. Your truth is the truth. That is now my truth that I will live my life by from this day forward, in Jesus' name. Amen. Could you give God... This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.